Are you ready for God's word this morning? How many just came in here and you're like, God, I came in to offer my, I didn't have a good week. Maybe kids are acting up. Husband's been out of town. Dryer blew up. Car fell apart. I don't know. Cat died. I don't know what could have happened, but, but you came in here and you said, I'm offering my sacrifice of praise and you were just worshiping God. And now you're like, God, I'm here and you're here and you must have something to say. Right? And I want to hear, God, whatever you have to say. Are you ready? I want you to change my life. Speak something that just turns everything around. Are you with me? And so, so yeah, that's what we're going to do now. We're going to start in 1 Kings chapter 18 together. We're in a season, a season, not a series. We're in a season called Forward. Uh, forward. This has been what we have centered our fast around, our, our online devotion, if you've been keeping up forward. We say, hey, we're going forward with God. Whatever God wants, that's what we want. Wherever he wants us to go, that's where we want to go because that's where his blessing is. And anywhere he guides us, he'll provide for it. We're going to walk in faith. We're going to move forward. And so that is what we have been saying together. And so I'm going to continue in that in that forward motion, if you will, uh, in 1 Kings uh, chapter 18. Now, what is going on in in 1 Kings chapter 18. Well, we're going to talk just a little bit about God's people. So essentially, it kind of goes like this. There's this man named Abraham, who is the father of faith, and he and Sarah couldn't have a kid, and God blesses them, opens their womb, gives them a kid. So then you have Isaac. Isaac gives birth to, to twins, one of which is Jacob. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. Israel has 12 sons, and that becomes the 12 tribes of Israel. And so if you fast forward a thousand or so years, you're going to get to God's people, and it's a kingdom. And now there's, there's you know, the first king is Saul, the second king is David. It's a, it's a, it's a kingdom that is unified and then Solomon takes over. But after Solomon passes away, uh, there is this evil king, uh, Jeroboam the first, and he divides the kingdom. Uh, from Rehoboam, who was his brother, they split the kingdom. And, and that happens about 930 BC. And, and then if you, and, and so then they become two kingdoms. Ten northern tribes become Israel and two southern tribes become Judah. Judah and Benjamin, they become the southern try this where the sweet tea is. People talk a little slower, have an accent there. Up north, can't find sweet tea. People talk real fast, can't understand them, right? And so they kind of divide out, right? The rednecks, no, I'm sorry. Anyways, um, <laughs> but they, they divide out. And, and, and so fast forward about 68 years, and that gets us to, um, to this king we're going to talk about. Now, Israel, um, that's the northern kingdom. We're, we're going to talk about Israel today. But Judah, southern kingdom, Judah, they kind of, they had, they had a lot of good kings. Maybe even, maybe even more than 50% of their kings were actually good. I mean, they had Uzziah and Hezekiah and Jehoshaphat. They had some good kings. Israel, not so much. I don't know if they ever actually had a good king. They had some bad kings that had a couple of good moments every now and then, right? When all of a sudden their conscience would kick in, I guess. But that, but not the case. And so, so right now in in um, in Israel at this at this time, um, we have one of the worst kings, Ahab. And, and Ahab is, is, he ends up marrying uh, a, a lady who is probably the most evil lady in the Bible, so much so that they name a demonic spirit after her, and, and her name is Jezebel. Now, if your name's Jezebel, <laughs> I'm sure you're lovely and beautiful and wonderful, and your parents didn't know anything about the Bible. And so, uh, yeah, and so no, no, no worries on that. Okay. And so, and so, um, <laughs> and so I'm sure it's wonderful, but this lady was, she was, she was sinister. She was evil. And, and she was a Phoenician princess and Ahab married her so that he could continue trade with the Phoenicians and they had ports and they were prosperous. And so his financial arrangement, uh, he basically wanted to be in good with, with, with Jezebel's dad, right. Uh, for his own, uh, well-being and, and prosperity and, 
And so, so he marries Jezebel. And so she uses his authority as king and starts introducing or transplanting her religion, which is the worship of these false gods, uh, namely Baal and Asherah. And um, in fact, the worship was, was terrible. I mean, it was just grotesque, really. It's probably the best word uh, because the worship would include sacrificing your children to these gods, um, all types of sexual debauchery, self-mutilation, that was how you worshiped their their god right and and so she is she is introducing and trying to transform Israel into Baal worshiping people and and she gets so far as she starts killing the prophets of the Lord anyone that's proclaiming the word of the god she, the word of god she's having them executed and and put to death like this is intense and so this is the scene where this man named Elijah now there are two prophets that can get confusing in in the old testament Elijah and Elisha, right? And that's why a lot of preachers just go, Elijah, because <laughs> they get feeling anointed and they can't remember which one it is. You know, Elijah, you know, Elijah, yeah, that guy right there. And so, um, but, but Elijah was hairy. Elisha had male pattern baldness, right? And so, and, 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 but you don't talk about, don't talk about it. Because one time some kids made fun of him and he cursed them and two female bears came and like mauled 40 people. So you don't talk about that. You don't give him a subscription to Bosley or whatever. You don't do that kind of business, right? No, 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 no. Don't be sending him Rogaine. And so... And so, but so Elisha was actually the young Padawan to Elijah, right? And Elijah was pretty intense. He, did, he has weird stuff. We're going to read a little bit of it, but he was the power prophet, even though Elisha does like, according to the Bible, about twice the miracles, Elijah is still known as the man, right? Because he is, he is where it started. And so, and so um, he, in fact, cool fact about him, one of two people in the Bible to not die. No, when it was his time, God, God sent a chariot of fire you know, and picked him up and took him to heaven. And Elisha was there, and Elisha was his, he, he grabbed the cloak because Elijah he grabbed the cloak or the lightsaber, depending on which version of the story you want to tell. And that became just a symbol of God's power, and then he takes over. So Elijah was he was he was interesting. And so he, he, he comes on the scene and a lot of the prophets were in hiding and he walks into Ahab's office one day and probably nobody really knew who he was. And he probably had, you know, older gentlemen probably, you know, kind of move slow, you know, and, and comes in probably really, really intense face and just looks at the king and says, it's not going to rain until I say so. And then he just walks out. And I think the people was like, <laughs> like in a good Cajun, who that? You know, it's a, who was that? who was that guy? You know, and but here's the thing. But here's the thing: the rain stopped, which was which was pretty intense because this is an agricultural society where where you you eat what you grow and you trade with what you grow and you sell what you grow. And all of a sudden, this prophet has walked in. Now he's like, I mean, now dog the bounty hunters after him, right? Because Jezebel's like, no, fine, that evil old man who made it stop raining. And so he, he actually leaves and, and goes into hiding. Now, here, here's what we understand about rain, why you understand this, and, and you need to understand this. Rain is a symbol or sign of God's favor and blessing. In fact, this is what God says in Deuteronomy 11 verse 13, it says, so if you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today to love um, the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, watch this, I'll send the rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain new wine and olive oil. In other words, God said, hey, when you're in covenant with me, when you're right relationship with me, then, then my favor, my blessing is on you. So Elijah comes in and says, it's not going to rain. And it's probably the most merciful thing God could have done, actually, because Israel's gotten so far away from God that he's got to bring them back. And sometimes God knows that when, when we won't seek him in and of ourselves, 
if he lets things start drying up, we'll start searching again for where the problem is. And, and so for three years, so Elijah, then he goes into hiding, right? Because the you know, dog's after him, right? They're, they're, they're upset with him. So he goes into hiding and he goes to this place um, uh, by the brook Cherith, by the brook Cherith. And you may be wondering, it's out in the wilderness. Well, how did he eat? Well, this is where the waiter app was invented. Because God actually sends ravens with food to feed him. And then the brook dries up. And then God sends him to a widow, but not a widow who, who was living large. It was actually a widow who, in her words, had just a little bit of substance left to make a little bitty piece of bread. And she and her son were going to eat it and die. And this Elijah, here he goes, Rain Man, walks up and he's like, Wapner. No, I'm just kidding. That's a bad Rain Man joke. Anyways, um, <laughs> but he walks in and he's like, hey, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to make a little bread and then we're going to die. Hey, that's great. Make me some bread. And I think she's like, I don't think you were listening. And, and you find out that God didn't actually send Elijah to the widow so the widow could provide for Elijah. Elijah sent, God sent Elijah to the widow so God could provide for the widow. Because once she fed Elijah, then God blessed her and increased her and multiplied her. And, and so he, he just weird stuff this man did. And so three, three years, no rain. And then all this, Elijah's in hiding. He's in the prophet protection program. And, and, um, and, then, and then God calls Elijah and says, okay, it's time. Go find Ahab. And so he goes to Ahab and he says, Ahab, uh, we're about to have the first like WW Smackdown prophet edition deity cage match um, on Mount Carmel. And, 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 and Ahab's like, okay. And, and so they start getting it together. Why, why Mount Carmel? Well, because Mount Carmel was actually believed to be the, the home place of these false gods, Baal and Asherah. And so Elijah's like, God's going to show his God on your home court. And so, so Ahab's like, all right, let's, let's get the people together. So Ahab sent word. This is verse 20 of 1 Kings 18. This gets us to the text. We're going to read a lot of scripture, but I want you to have the whole story. And so, so Ahab sent word throughout all of Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. And Elijah went before the people. Now, to me, this is, this is kind of a sad verse. He said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And look at this. But the people said nothing. That's sad to me. You know, you can get so far away from God, you don't even know how to find your way back, it feels like. That's why we thank God, because he's gracious, because he'll bring us back, right? But, but you can get to that place. And here's what you need to know about God. God will never be one of your gods. No, no, no. He's, he's like, no, 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 no. No, I, I'll be God or not. Like, kind of like he said in Revelation, I wish you were hot or cold, but don't be lukewarm. Like, I'm, only gonna, I'm not going to be a God among many. I'll be the God or no God. That's, that's, that's where I'm at. And so, so the people said, no, verse 22, then Elijah said, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left. Now, we know that's not exactly true, but that's what he believed. But Baal has 450 prophets, plus really another 400 prophets of Asherah. So he said, get these two bulls, and Baal's prophets can choose one, and then they're going to cut the bull into pieces, put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Don't set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and I'm going to put it on the wood, but I'm not going to set fire to it. Then you call on your God and I'll call on the Lord and the God. So here's the rules right of the smackdown. The God who answers by fire, he's going to be the God. And all the people said, sounds like a good contest. Verse 25, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it because there are so many of you and then call on the name of your God, but just don't, don't flick a bit. Don't, don't light it on fire, Right. And, and verse 26, so they took the bull, given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us. Like from morning to, like they were intense in their worship. Like we're like, man, it's 23 minutes. We're still standing. They went morning to noon for a God that doesn't exist. Um, craziness. And they shouted, but there was no response and no one answered. And they danced around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. It's not Christ-like, but I love it. <laughs> I mean, Elijah didn't know Jesus at this time. I mean, it's not Christ-like. He didn't know what Christ-likeness was. He didn't have the golden rule. That's, that's in the book of Matthew. So anyways, he began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. 
Surely he's a God. Look at this. Perhaps he's in deep thought. He's trash talking, man. You can't have a WW Smackdown without some trash talk. He's like, bring it. And then he said this, or maybe he's busy. Now, if you, if you, if you check this word in the Hebrew, it means indisposed. Like pants around the ankles. Like reading the paper. Checking Facebook. You're going to think twice before using somebody else's phone now. But anyways, um, Mizzy, or maybe went on a trip, took a vacation maybe. He's sleeping. Got to wake him up. Verse 28. So they shouted louder. Then look at this. This is sad. They start cutting themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. Now, that's a Jehovah. That's God. That's Yahweh. They have morning, evening sacrifice. But there was no response, no answer. No one paid attention. And then Elijah said to the people, come here to me. Here's another side scripture. They came and look, he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. And Elijah took 12 stones. I love this because God's like, you're all my people. You may be divided right now, but you're my people. Like you may be the 10 Northern tribes, but my people, I still have two Southern tribes. And so he said, I'm going to get 12 stones because you're all my, my, this is a great message for today. You, you may be black or you may be white or you may, but you're all God's people. Like we can never forget. We can't let culture divide us, not let socioeconomic status divide us. Don't let politicians divide us. Don't, don't let movements divide us. We are all God's people, regardless of what we look like or where we come from or what we know or don't know what we have or don't have. Can somebody help me with this? We are all God's people. And so he's like, I'm going to get 12 stones, not 10. And he said, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, your name shall be Israel. And with these 12 stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord and dug a trench around it to hold enough for two seas of seat. And he arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, laid it on the wood. And then he said to them, now check this, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering. Do it again. And he said, do it a third time. And then the, verse 35 says the water ran, ran down and even filled the trench. And at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I've done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back to them. Talk about grace. Like, you, can, you listen, you can't turn your heart, but God can like, if you'll just change your mind, he'll change your heart. If you'll just give him a place, he'll turn things around for you. That's his grace. And so he said that, that you're turning their hearts back to them. And then, and then the fire of the Lord fell. And it burned up the sacrifice. And it burned up the wood. And it burned up the stones. And it burned up the dirt. That's hot. Right. And it licked up the water. And when the people saw this, they fell on their faces. They fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, the Lord, he is God. He is God. And Elijah commanded them. Now you want intense WW Smackdown. Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets. Don't let any one of them get away. They seized them. And Elijah had them all brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered them there. We don't do church like that anymore. That's, a, that's not how we do it here. That's a. And, and Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink. Look, look at this. For there is the sound of a heavy rain. I, I'll go old school, New King James. There is the sound of the abundance, the abundance, the abundance of rain. Um, I called this message, open hands, open heaven. Can, can we pray for just a minute? God, we, we are here to say that you are God and nothing else and no one else is. And God, I, I pray, even in this time, no matter where we think we are, that all of our hearts would be turned more towards you, including mine. God, the, the, the world gets in the way, culture gets in the way, our, our own ideas, our thinking, there's so many distractions. But God, in this moment, answer by fire. Let us see you and turn our hearts more, more fully toward you in in Jesus name. Amen. Um, uh, you can write these down if you're a note taker. 
Um, but here's, here's what I want to start after looking and praying through this text. I, it to me, is so much more than just a, 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 a weekend message, honestly, uh, because I, there's such a, there's, it re, it's resonating in, in my spirit. And as someone that has to, to speak every weekend, the word of God, um, I enjoy that more than probably, in fact, I do that for free. You don't pay me to preach. You pay me to deal with all the crazy stuff. I'll preach for free, right? And so, um, but I love it. And there are, there are weekends where I, every weekend I'm trying to get God's word and God's heart and, and I feel like I do my best to do that. But there are some times where I'm like, whoa, this is, this is something here is, is stirring more so than, 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 than maybe the norm. And this is one of those words. And, and so I'm excited to bring it to you. So, so write this down. Number, number one, when we look at this, this story, this account together, here's the first thing that, that I thought was, you need to make sure what you give your life to can give you life back. You need to make sure that whatever you're giving your life to can, can, can give you life back. T- to me, it's sad because where Elijah starts with the people is, is this verse, and we see it in, in verse 20 and 21. He assembles them on Mount Carmel, and then he asks them this question, how long will you waver between two opinions? Now, if you, if you look at that word, um, in, in, in the original language and you start kind of trying to, to, to get a good translation of it, there's really two translations. One says to spring back and forth, almost like, and he's saying, how long are you going to jump back and forth between two, two opinions? You know, because this is what the people are doing. It's like, we like Baal because we want to party with the prostitutes. But we like God because we need the blessing. We want to live this way on Friday in the club. We need to go to church on Sunday because our kids are acting up. We want to do this. Um, you know, we want to, we want to, we want to go do this and, 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 and be a part of these. Oh, oh, but all of a sudden we've lost our job and we need to be, yeah, we serve something. And, and I know a lot of people are like, well, I don't ever serve another deity. Like the Lord is my Lord. But, but I'm just wondering, but what's first? Cause, cause the God question is always what's first. And, and while we may be saying that God is our God, the question may be, but who is your Lord? Because a lot of times I'm afraid we, we check the box of my religion is God. And so on Sundays when I'm not busy and when nothing else is going and, and my team's not playing and whenever, and I got up in time and I got enough, that, oh, I'm going to check the box. Like, is it, if God's God, serve him. Because God won't be one of your gods. And, and the truth is, it's a Lord question. It's not even a God question, it's a Lord question. And sometimes I, for, I think we forget that Jesus is a Savior, but he's, he's only a Savior because he's a Lord. And the Lord is who's in charge. And I think sometimes I want to be in charge, and I want to do it my way, and oh, it didn't work. Maybe God's way. But as soon as things are, oh, am I even my way? And I want to, I want, you know, this is my, this is what I believe. It's my standard. This is how I do it. This is how I see it. This is okay for me. This, this is all right. You know, I, you know, this is just how I want to live. And I think it's going to be okay. I'm not asking that. I'm asking, what does he say? See, Jesus um, said, said it this way. No man can serve two masters. And, and what we think is that sometimes there are divine suggestions. And, and what we think is what he's saying is no one should serve two masters. But what he's actually saying is no one is able to serve two masters. You simply cannot serve two masters. One, here's why. Somebody has to be first. And you can be first or God can be first. Your relationship can be first or God can be first. Your, your job can be first or God can be first. Your, your hobbies can be first or... Like, you, you can only have one first. And what Jesus said, it's impossible to serve two masters. You just can't do it. 
And he's talking about God, and some people think he's talking about God and money. He's actually using the word mammon, which is a Babylonian deity, which mammon promises you blessing that only God can give you. Kind of like, that's why most people translate money promises you some things that only God can, can give you. But he's saying, no, 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 listen, you can't actually serve too. And so the first word, you know, the first definition of this word would be spring back and forth. The second one would be limp. Not gangster limp, not like an OG, but, but like, but, but here's what he's actually saying. In fact, one verse says, how long will you limp between these two? In other words, here's what he's saying. You're weak because you won't pick one. In, in other words, in other words here, here's what he's saying. You're limping when you could be running if you would just pick a God. Like you are God's people and only God can bless you and only God can redeem you and God has a heart to prosper and multiply and to keep you and to bring you into your purpose and to bring you into your destiny. Like this is everything that God wants to do, but you're not running, you're limping because you're not sold out, you're holding out. And God has a plan and God wants to move you forward and he has a purpose, but he's like, no, 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 you're not realizing that because you're weak, because you're limping, because you're jumping back and forth between this God and this God and this God and this God. See, the truth of it is sometimes we miss this. Exodus 34 verse 14. Well, what's going on? Well, Moses had been on the mountain getting those, the, the first bestseller, the Ten Commandments. And while he's up there, all of a sudden God does one of those things that parents, we do this. Because he says, Moses, you need to go down because your people are acting up. Kind of like when my kids are acting up, I'm like, Julie, you need to do something about your kids. I don't know. I don't know who they are. Who's your kids? Right? Like sometimes I get a phone call. It's like, you need to come home and deal with your kids. All of a sudden, they're my kids? That's a bad sign. And so God said, Moses, you got to get down there because Moses, while Moses is on the mountain having a meeting with God, all of a sudden they decide to take all their jewelry, make a, make a golden calf, then strip down naked and start worshiping it. And God's like, Moses, they've already gone high and to the right. And so Moses comes down. And, and in all of that, we get to this verse where, where he says, for you shall worship no other God. For the Lord, whose name is, look at his name, whose name is jealous is a jealous God. Now, if we're not careful, we'll apply that the wrong way because we'll think, oh, God's like that crazy ex-boyfriend that's, that's all stalking me and driving by my house. And no, 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 no. You got to understand the way God thinks. It's, it's not an unhealthy possession. Instead, it's a healthy passion. Here's what God's saying. You are my possession, but you can choose where you go. But you need to understand I'm jealous. And here's why I'm jealous. I don't want you to, I don't want you serving anybody else. I don't want you worshiping anybody else. And here's why he said, because I'm the one who gives you life. No one else can give you life. I can give you life. So I want you to worship me because I can get you where you need to be. I want you to worship me because I know I can bless you. I know I can protect you. I know I can sustain you. I know I can heal you. I know I can redeem you. I know I can set you free. I know that I, I know the plans that I have for you. And they're good plans, not bad plans. They're for hope and a future. And if you worship somebody else, you're not going to get those plans. So please, 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 please understand. I am passionate enough to say you can't worship anybody else because I'm the only one that can give you life. He is passionate. Do you know what's, you know what's sad to me when I, when I study this text? Um, is that Baal, check this, Baal is, is the rain god. <laughs> isn't that, it's kind of ironic, isn't it? Like, he's the rain god. And that's kind of funny. But you know what's really sad? Is that God's people... For over three and a half years, we know, but for years, had been worshiping a God who was powerless to actually give them what they needed. They need rain, and they're worshiping a rain God who can't make it rain. I almost called this message, Make It Rain. I did, man. I go through so many titles. I'm serious, man. I'm serious. That one got voted down by some of the, they're like, no, you can't. You can't do that. And I thought about, I set fire to the rain from Adele. I go through so many, anyways, you just need to pray for me. So it's, 
But, but they are worse. Listen, listen, listen. They are giving their lives, sacrificing their children, giving their time, their resources, their energy to a God who is powerless to give them what they need. And I thought, I wonder if we're guilty of that sometimes. I wonder if, 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 if we're on tender when really we're just broken on the inside and lonely and we're looking for something in this app and these connections with these people, whatever that looks like, that really only God can provide for us. I wonder if sometimes we're, we're in our job and we're pursuing promotion and increase because we're still trying to prove we have value and identity when value and identity come from the price that Jesus paid. It comes from God. And I wonder how much of our lives we're, we're, getting, we're like living through our kids, you know, in their sports programs and pushing them to do stuff sometimes they don't even want to do because what are we after really? And are we putting something first that doesn't really have the power to bring what we need. Are we putting that in the first place? Because what I see here is sad is they were worshiping something that wasn't worth it. They put something first that couldn't save them. They put something first that couldn't deliver them. They put something first that couldn't end their drought. And I think that's what God's saying. It's like, I want to be first. Seek, seek first the kingdom. Why? Because if you put me first, then everything else I can start giving you. I can heal your soul. I can renew your mind. I can transform your life. I know the plans. I know the purposes. I am jealous for you because if you'll put me in the right spot, I'll take you to the right place. Are you with me? And so what I would say is don't give your life to something that can't give your life back. That's what Jesus said. I came that you might have life. And not just life, more abundant life. Here's what he said. The life that I give is going to be better than anything you could try to find life in. Here's the second thing. You could, you could write this down. You are altered by your altars. You are altered by your altars. It's sad, but verse 30 says, Elijah says, come here, guys, gather around. And then it said he had to repair the altar of the Lord. Look at this, which had been torn down. He had to repair the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. You know, I, I had this thought because I see it in Israel. The shape and the condition that Israel is in is really a reflection of this picture of the condition or the shape of their altars. Israel is broken down and so is the altar of the Lord been broken down. Israel has gone away from God and here is this new altar they have erected to a false deity. And I thought, I wonder if it's the same way in our lives. That maybe sometimes the way our lives are going is actually a reflection of what our altars look like. Because the truth of it is, you become like what you behold. I'll say another way. You become like what you worship. Whatever you put first, you're going to look like it. It's true. Absolutely true. In fact, Paul said it this way, as beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord... We are all changed into that same image from glory to glory as by the Spirit of the Lord. In other words, he's saying, when we behold him, we become like him. When we behold him, we become like him. We, we become like what we behold. So what happens if, if all of a sudden the wrong thing's in the first place? What if all of a sudden my altar gets torn down? I wonder what would happen. I don't know. We could, we could look at it and say, I don't want to step on anybody's toes. But I just started thinking about if, if your altar gets torn down, I wonder what your family looks like. If your altar gets torn down, I, I, wonder, I wonder what kind of thoughts start running through your mind. If your altar gets torn down, I wonder what, what kind of actions and activities and things you may get sucked into and caught up in. Because this culture is relentless. 
Like they're going to preach their message to you and they're going to convince you that that's the right thing and they're going to convince you that that's what, they're spending billions of dollars, billions of dollars trying to convince you certain things are okay and other things are not okay. They are going to preach their message. They are going to hammer you. They are going to, I'm telling you what, the prophets of Baal are alive and well. That's what I'm saying. And they're going to preach their message to you. And what happens when you get away from the altar? How does your life start reflecting that? Because here's what I see with Israel. Here's what I would say. They didn't get up one day and say, we're kicking this altar to God down and going to go do our own thing. No, what happened is someone just started slowly building something else. Something kind of crept in. Hey, hey, it's, there's this other, there's this other. You could try that. You know, there's, hey, you know, might try this, right? It's a bill. It's always, it's always a slow fade. Paul, Paul said it this way in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice. Kind of a crazy concept, a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing God. This is your true and proper worship. And don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing your mind. Watch this. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will. Well, what is God's will for me? Well, here's what he says. If you really know my will, you'll know it's good. It will actually be pleasing or it will fulfill you and it will perfect you. It will help you become everything I've created you to be. Like this is my will for you. If you actually know it. it's good, pleasing and perfect. Right? And so, so when you look at this, here's what, here's what Paul is saying is that if I want God's best, I got to live on God's altar. My grandfather was, he was an old school preacher. I love my grandfather and he's with Jesus, but, but he used to preach this and, and, and he was left-handed and he would grab his ear like this. I remember he grabbing his ear, but he would say something like, you know, the problem with living sacrifices, they keep crawling off the altar. Pop was wise. That's all I'm saying. Because nowadays we're crawling off, falling off, jumping off, running off. Like, like we don't mean to. It's like we come in, oh, Jesus, I'm going to serve you, Jesus. I'm going to serve you. We walk out of church and get a direct message. You're like, next week, Jesus. I'm going to serve you next week, Jesus. Like, Lord, I, you know, I'm going to do it, Lord. I'm going to follow you. I am, I am, God. I mean well. And then Monday, have, you know, Jesus, maybe I'll work back around to it. And here's what Paul says is that when I live on the altar, check this, I'm transformed. I look like Jesus. My mind is changed to where I think like Jesus. And then I get the benefit of stepping into his plan for me, good, pleasing, and perfect. That when I stay on the altar, right? When I stay on the altar of God, I'm going to behold him. I'm going to become like him. I'm going to think like him. And I'm going to walk out his plan for me. But, 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 if I start getting off the altar, all of a sudden, his, his, his image in me is going to be concealed, right? It's going to be covered up. And then I'm going to start thinking whacked out crazy thoughts because I'm going to get into culture and the world and start thinking, well, maybe that's really, you know, maybe it's really okay. Maybe it's just like, you know, I don't see the harm so much in it. I, I don't, I don't get, and next thing you know, I'm going to be far from God's plan, just like Israel. I'm going to be far from God's will, far from his plan. I'm still going to be unfulfilled and I'm going to be worshiping something that really can't give me life. It's a slow fade, but I got to make sure that I stay on an altar because I am altered by my altars. I'm altered. Whether it's the altars that are torn down or the altars that are built up, I'm altered. I, a cheesy preacher quote one time, but it's true. He said, if you want to alter your family, build a family altar. A lot of truth in it, I think. Here, here's the third thing. You want to write this down. What you hold on to may be holding God back. You know, um, when I look at this text, because you're like, you're going to have to explain that, preacher. <laughs> when I look at this text, I see this place where it's Elijah's time. It's time of the evening sacrifice. It's about 3 p.m. 
same time, by the way, that Jesus was crucified. And um, he arranges the, wool, the, the wood, cuts the bull up, and, and gets ready, right? And then he says, hey, y'all bring some water. I got to think about that because a lot of times we preach this, a lot of pastors preach this, well, God wanted to put the water on there to stack the deck against him so the miracle would be that much greater, right? And, and I could preach that he's the God of the impossible. His plans never make sense to us. You know, like, okay, we're going to go fight one of the biggest fortified cities in the land of Canaan. It's, it's called Jericho. Joshua, what's your strategy? Well, I've been with the Lord. Great, you've been with the Lord. What does he say do? He said, walk around it and don't make any noise. For six days, just be quiet and walk around it. Just go on a nature walk. Once a day for six days. On the seventh day, we're going to walk around seven times, and then we're going to scream real loud. And then what? And I'd be like, that's good, Joshua. Caleb, did you get anything? Because I think Joshua been in the sun too long. And so, like, I understand he's the God of the impossible, and he does crazy stuff. But I, but I got to think about this. If you're going to send a fire bolt from heaven and burn up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the water, and the dirt, if you're going to do all of that, is water make it that much more spectacular? And then I got to asking this question to myself, like, well, where did they get the water? And a lot of people, because they're in a three and a half year drought. We know Elijah had to, to move to Zarephath because the, the brook at Cherith dried up. And that was probably a year or so ago. So, so where did the water come from? Some people say, well, they got it from the Mediterranean Sea, which is about a 12 mile hike from, from Mount Carmel. And, and I got thinking about that. I'm like, well, you know, let's, let's think about this. We're going to do it three times. So he would have to send them 12 miles to get water because he didn't tell them three times up front, right? He said, get water. They brought water and they said, let's do it again. They brought water. He said, let's do it a third time, right? And so truthfully, if you're going to make a 12 mile walk, get water and walk 12 miles back and you're a few thousand people, I don't think you're going to do that three times in a day. And by the time he takes over, it's time of the evening sacrifice. It's 3 p.m. And I thought, well, where else could the water have come from? And I thought, well, you know, when we go on a family excursion or we are out in the woods camping or something like that and we go on a hike, you know what we always do? We pack water. We got a little canteen, right? Got our water bottles. We load it in the backpack because we're taking our family on an excursion. And I thought, surely if they're going to climb this mountain to see what God's going to do, surely they would pack water. Then I thought, well, how valuable was that water? Because they're in a drought. We know they would have had some cisterns or wells or maybe a spring or two that was still producing something. And, and they're probably rationing water because they don't know how long the drought's going to last. And now Elijah, the people, at this up until now, they've been spectators, right? I mean, Elijah said, hey, you got front row seats to a cage match between gods. We're going smack town, smack down, showdown at sundown. That's what we're doing. And so, um, <clears throat> And so he brings them up there and they've been spectators and they've been watching because they've been watching this and I'm thinking, you know, Al Michaels and John Madden, <laughs> you know, they're, they're like watching, you know, here's what's going on, you know, and I think when the fire, if you remember the movie Miracle, you know, you believe in miracles, you know, never mind. Anyway, this is the moment I had, I can hear my mind, but John Madden was probably a spectator, you know, or the, the commentator, if you will, you know, John Madden, who we love him, but we never understood anything he said because it didn't make sense. You got a big guy down there because he'd say, this way, and then boom, and then pow, and then this guy here, and that guy over there, boom, pow, touch that. That's what that's all about right there. All right, thanks, John. Back to Al. And so, um, so the people have been spectating. They're like, oh, look, they're dancing now. The, 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 the bell worshipers, they're dancing now. The prophets of Baal, they're dancing. Oh, my God, now they're cutting themselves, you know. Now, oh, this is getting out of control. What's Elijah doing? Oh, he's rebuilding the altar. I mean, they're, spect they're just spectators, right? Commentators. And then all of a sudden, Elijah says, okay, I got the altar built. Y'all put water on it. And I think they're like, well, did anybody bring water? Where are we going to get the water? And he's like, out of your water bottle. Like, empty your Yeti. Like, you got a camel pack? It's, it's time to empty it. And, and, and so he asked him, 
um, three times. And at first I thought, I thought, well, why, why three times? Why three times? And at first I thought, well, three is like the power of redemption. I mean, it's, it's, it's like the power to cleanse. It's like sanctification almost. In fact, uh, Moses tells Israel, sanctify yourselves for three days. And then we're going to meet with God at Mount Sinai. And then I remember Jesus was in the tomb, but he rose on the, on the third day. So it's this power of sanctification, this power of purification. And, and I thought, man, God's obviously by his grace saying, I'm about to purify my people again, which, which I think could be significant. This is just my idea. I hadn't heard anybody else come up with this. And then I thought, but what about four? There's four pots, three times. Like, what's the number four about? And I thought, oh, oh, oh three times four is... 12, that God's saying, just like he had 12 stones in the altar, he's like, I'm sanctifying all of my people again. Not just the northern tribe, not, not, just, not just the northern kingdom, not just uh, all of them, sanctifying all of them. And, and I think those are legitimate and you could chase those rabbits and they would make sense. But do you know why I think another reason that could be that he asked three times? He wanted to make sure he got all the water. Because I think the first time he said, who's going to give water? And I think the people standing close were like, oh, man, okay. <laughs> what we're going to do now? Okay, Elijah. You know, and, and then I think Elijah, that's good. Hey, hey, more water. And now people are like, oh. how valuable is this water? I mean, this is life. This is life. You're in a famine. It's life. And I think he did it three times to make sure he got all the water. I think he did it three times to make sure, check this, to make sure they weren't holding on to anything else. Because he knew he wanted to open the heavens. But he also knew what they were holding on to was holding him back. See, we get to a place where all of a sudden we find out God wasn't holding back the rain. The people were. The reason it stopped raining was not because of God. It was because of the people. And now we get to a place that the only thing holding God's rain back wasn't God. He always wants good for us. He always wants to bless us. He sent Jesus so we could walk in his blessing and even have, the, the New Testament says, the blessing that was on Abraham. He wants us to, God's heart is to bless. So what's holding God back? What they're holding on to. And God's saying, hey, what you're holding on to, I want to make sure that if you'll let go of what you're holding on to, what you think you're getting life from, what you think is sustaining you, what you think is blessing you, what you think is providing for you, what you think is keeping you, what, what is making you feel secure and say, if you will let go of what you're holding on to, then I can let go of what I've been holding back for you. See, see, here's the truth of it, and this is what we see here, and this is what I believe. You can't have all God is until God has all you have. And so many times we want everything that God is, and God's like, you can have, freely have, everything that I am when I have all that you have. You can have all I am when I have all you have. And I think that's why he said, I want all the water. I don't want you holding on to anything. Else. I'm about to sanctify, purify, redeem, deliver, and reveal myself. I want, I'm going to give you everything. But before I give you everything, I want you, listen, can I tell you something? Can I tell you something about God? That, that God will always give you more than you give up. And I think God's like, oh, I got more for you than what's in your Yeti. I got more for you than what's in your Camelback, right? I, I got more for you than what you're holding on to. But see, before I pour out all that I am, you got to give up all that you have. If you want an open heaven, you got to open your hands. What he told the people, Malachi said it this way, bring the whole tithe into the store, not part. You got to bring, bring the whole tithe. Why? Because then I'm going to open the windows of heaven and pour out blessing that what? There won't be room enough to receive, right? They had to give up 
what they could receive to get what they could never receive, what they could never hold, what, what was more than enough. Are you with me? Um, uh, Solomon said it this way in dele- dedicating the temple. He said this. He said, when the heavens have been shut up because of your sin, in other words, you've been holding on to something that's not God, holding on to something that doesn't deserve to be first, holding on to something that cannot give you life. He said, then if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and watch this, turn from their sin, let go of what they're holding on to, then I'll hear from heaven and I'll pour out my spirit and I will heal their land. This is what he said. He said, you're not, I'm not holding it up. You're holding it back. And I'm telling you right now in our nation with what was just signed in New York as far as abortion and just feeling my tummy, my, my stomach turn, um, and maybe it's because I, I, I adopted, uh, Julie and I adopted a baby that could have been aborted. Um, but, but just to see how our nation is celebrating like we won a victory. And I'm like, God, we, we got to open our hands again. We got to stop our own ways and our own ways of thinking and our own ways of doing things. And we got to stop holding on because we're holding on to some things that's holding you back. And God, I know whatever we're holding on to seems important to us, but I also know that, that we'll get more than we give up if we'll just open our hands again. And God, let our nation open our hands again. Let us put some things first that are supposed to be. Let us tear down some altars that should have never been built and build up some altars that should have been maintained. God, help us again to give ourselves to something that can give life back to us. Help us again to alter our nation by turning. Because this is what else I see. When the prayer went up, the, the power came down. Like fire came from heaven, right? Fire came down. When the prayer went up, the power went down. And then then all of a sudden, he said, no, we got to kill all the prophets. Why? We got to get all the contaminants and all the influence out, out of Israel. This is what I feel sometimes about the church. We got to get the world back out of the church or get it saved or something. The church got to stop trying to be worldly and start trying to be God's people. And so we got to purify some things. And then all of a sudden, when that was done, Elijah said, oh, wait a second. Everybody be quiet. Because I hear something I haven't heard in a long time. Because you always hear it before you see it. Whether it's the voice of many waters in Revelation, whether it's the sound of the, of the rushing wind in Acts, anytime there's, God's about to move, you always hear it before you see it. This is one of the reasons I'm extending prayer meeting because last Thursday I heard something I've never heard in this church. And all of a sudden Elijah said, wait a second, boys, wait a second. Oh, I think God has received our offering. Thank God's purifying. Thank God's clean. How do you know? Because I hear something. What do you hear? I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. You better tell Ahab to go get his all-wheel drive chariot and get headed down because he's about to get stuck in the mud. Why? Because where they gave up a water bottle full of water, I'm about to pour out a rain that there's not room enough to, an abundant rain that's going to wash, that's going to purify, that's going to cleanse, that's going to fill up reservoirs. I'm going to pour out more than they gave up. It's just the grace of God. It's the grace of God. And that's why I'm saying, can can we be the church? Can we be a people? Because see, I'm not in charge of every church. I'm not in charge of every people. I'm not even in charge of you unless you want me to be. But but could could we be a church that says, you know what? We're going to open our hands. Because we want an open heaven. And we're going to let go of anything that's not God. And we're going to live our lives on an altar, right? And, and we're going to give our lives to the one who gives life to us. And, and, and we're, we're going to make sure that God has a place to move. We don't, we're not going to hold him back. We're not going to hold him up because we're not going to hold on to anything he doesn't want us to hold on to. God, listen, God doesn't care if you have stuff. He's only worried about what you got your fists wrapped around. If you leave your hand open, he'll put cool stuff in it. Trust me. Like, I got cool stuff. Sometimes I get cool stuff. I'm like, God, I got cool stuff. If you keep your hand open, God will put cool stuff in it. He doesn't mind you having stuff. It, the problem is when your hand gets wrapped around it too tight. That's because then the stuff's got you, see? Then the stuff's got you, right? He doesn't mind you have stuff. It's not even what I'm talking about. He just cares if that stuff gets you. If your hand gets too tight. 
And I'm saying, God, I won't hold you back. I don't hold you up. I want heaven to come. I want all that you are. I'm going to give you all that I have. Because I, I want to see the rain. Are you with me? Can you give Jesus a hand today? Why don't you stand, stand with me?